On today's episode of the Nifty Nick Show, I'm pumped to have on Carson Woods, aka Carson Daly of 888 The New World, Trip Ditch, and formerly Superplastic. In this episode, we discussed how she got involved with NFTs, her migration to LA, and the platform that they're building with 888. The show's all about learning from those with skin in the game and the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception, so let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up, one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments, we provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry. Your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. Yeah. All right, so we're here with Carson Woods, a.k.a. Carson Daly. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I thought, you know, I, I want to jump into what you're doing with your new role, but I keep coming across you via other artists showing up at different events and other things like that. And I was like, I got to connect with this person. Uh, you, you keep coming across. Um, and also, I think the first time may have been pertaining to a triptych drop or something like that months ago, maybe in Clubhouse. I, I feel like that was like sort of the, the founding part. But before NFTs, it sounds like uh, you got into this space via super plastic. Is that correct? Yes. So very likely that you, came, you saw me for um, as part of my drop with Triptych. Triptych is a company that I have co-founded with Marty Kalner and Jazz Kalner. And we had a drop called Who Shot Andy Warhol? And the drop was um, for a photograph of Andy Warhol that was found in a garbage bag um, during like the heyday of Studio 54 in Hell's Kitchen by a really, really good friend of Marty's named Steve Reese. And um, he really just like kept this photo kind of hidden away, like in storage. He was so afraid, like this Andy Warhol photo, he'd never seen it before. And we brought it to the blockchain um, in hopes that we would discover who the photographer was. So the NFT, we we tokenized, so we did like a high quality scan and render, tokenized that and uh, sold it as an NFT. We had an auction and we actually still have, we're still looking for the photographer of the of the actual photo. And if somebody can in the next year, I think until May of next year, figure out who shot that photograph of the Andy Warhol, they're actually going to receive a uh, commission from that sale. So that was really cool. But my kind of start into NFTs and, and like the start of my obsession with crypto was with Superplastic, where I was the director of brand development and responsible for new business. And part of that new business was brand partnerships, collaboration, new opportunities um, to generate revenue, but also, you know, to raise the brand profile and, and increase brand awareness as Superplastic is still a startup in its infancy, like less than, uh, I think, about four, probably four years old now, three years old now. Um, and Nifty Gateway called and had a conversation with me initially. And they were talking about like blockchain and decentralized and non-fungible token and like throwing all this shit out where I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, meanwhile, like, I had just literally that very day, like, I'm pretty sure pitched uh, for the super plastic characters, Janky and Googiemon, to be in Fortnite, which that deal ended up going through, and and that actually just went public last month. So I was, like, really on cloud nine, but 
I, I somehow got it, like what they were doing. I was like, okay, all toys start as 3D renders, all of our content on social media, our character related content, that's all animation. Like that's what these artists, like the ones that he had been referencing at a time was mostly just like Wisby. I was like, I get that they are doing something similar, like this in a way, Superplastic was already creating crypto media or crypto art. We were just either passing it off to our factory to, to produce the physical toys, or we were releasing it on a centralized platform, uh, which was like Instagram or TikTok. So I was like, all right, whatever, passed it off, got really like couple, you know, we went down the road a bit. That was in the summer of last year. And like, I think everything happens for a reason and that drop date getting kind of pushed off. And then we decided that we would drop it on February 16th, which, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you know that like, that's like the heyday, like the hottest kind of peak season of um, NFTs. And I, I was really starting to get into Clubhouse because I'm from Vermont. So didn't have a lot of access to like having conversations with people that would find anything that I'm doing interesting, <laughs> like anybody at all. Um, and I, I saw this room pop up with the NFTs and I was like, oh yeah, like that's like, I got to start like, you know, thinking more about that, like our drops coming up and had, you know, I remember being in, in one of the early drop rooms for Blau when he had a drop that had made like $350,000 or something. And we were in that room for like eight hours, just like talking and celebrating. He was so stoked. And then, you know, next thing, like one thing leads to another. And now I'm like leading these conversations and talking about super plastic and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, at that time, well, first of all, so I own one super plastic, actually, no, I own like three pieces. Uh, I came across it via the tech space. I think one of the investors in their uh, shrug capital um, had like posted about it. And I was like, oh, these are cool. Then when the NFT space came out, I was like, super plastic. Wait, before you even launched the NFTs, I was like, this is representative of what NFTs are going to be. And so I bought one because I was like, hey, this feels just natural to the type of stuff that seems to be aligned. I think of collectibles and collectibles in the physical sense. And now we're like sort of moving in the, uh, it's hard to call it the reverse direction because we are moving forward, but it, it feels different where the, the digital almost seems like it'll come first. And then if you're like really committed to it, then you end up getting the physical component. However, in the case of super plastic, I think I bought, you know, uh, the piece, let, let's say the, the main, the larger pieces that you have are somewhere around 99, 149. Well, you're not there anymore, but whatever. And so, whereas the NFTs in this case, they sold for how much, like $30,000 or some like insane amount? Yeah, we, the very first super plastic drop, it was a, a pack of uh, 300 super crankies or NFTs that represented super cranky, which was a figure that's like a spray paint can head. Um, that sold, those were $350 a piece. They sold out literally instantly. Um, I was shocked, but also like so surprised and relieved. And then we had two auctions for a janky and a Googiemon character, um, animation of the toy, the toy figure, because janky and Googiemon are also like animated characters, like celebrities. Um, and those closed at 30 and 40,000, 30 and 70,000, sorry, respectively, which was insane and i'm pretty sure one of them actually was collected by uh the collector known as 888 who is now like my employer so <laughs> yeah, uh, small world and it makes a ton of sense i guess from that standpoint 
you know, I, I don't know. So is the founder of Super Plastic the person that designed those characters? Because uh, he, he's an artist. Yeah, Paul Budnitz is the founder of Super Plastic. He also founded Kid Robot, which was, you know, really, Paul is so incredible and, and is owed a lot of credit for, like, really bringing um, collectible toys to, like, like Western mainstream pop culture, like, you know, which led to Bear Brick and Cause and all kinds of cool stuff. And, and he and Huck G, who Huck G was also a really like prolific toy designer for Kid Robot. They started Super Plastic together and created Janky and Googiemon. And then um, Huck is is the art director for Super Plastic. So he is now, you know, he, he really is the one that's driving all of that new like character design. But Paul is like definitely, I mean, Super Plastic was my first job at a college, so I don't know what I have to compare it to, but um, in terms of like of hands-on CEOs, like Paul is, so involved he has such great taste great eye like just inherently knows when something is fucking cool and awesome and also you know just knows when something like isn't quite right and is really it really helps people artists creatives grow and evolve he's so cool it's all love there clearly like i love them it didn't make sense to me when i heard about like why were why were some of these tech investors funding a collectibles company but now when you hear about the founders you're like Oh, okay. Like you would just invest in them. Like they, they're, they're like all-star creative. So, uh, you want to back people like that. Okay. So, so cool. I was lucky for sure to be able to be there as employee number three and literally would sit in his office for hours a day and just like learn from him, absorb, like brainstorm together. Like it was, it's really the reason why like I'm, I'm here, like sitting here and having this conversation, which is just incredible. So you're on what's essentially a rocket ship. I mean, it, Super Plastic was like made for this moment uh, in terms of like just the character design and everything else. It felt, it, it feels perfect. And so then you're like, uh, screw this, I'm going somewhere else. Like what, where, where was the, uh, so just be honest, you got tired of your boss. No, no, good question. No, and honestly, it comes up a lot. And like, I think it was really hard for me, like when I was first feeling this, like when I was having this calling of like, is there something more out there? I was like, how in the hell could you think that there's something more? Like you are, like I was employee number three. Like I said, it was my first job at a college. Like here I am, like just turned 26 years old. And like, I'm director of brand development. Like at one point I was one of like the only women in the executive leadership group. Like they were so like, they, they valued me so much and I was able to really like play and do, you know, whatever I wanted within reason. Like they would always, they were always open to exploring my ideas. And I think, you know, I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Vermont. Like I always kind of had this like feeling of like, I'm meant for awesomeness. Like I'm going to break out of this container and this shell. And like the fact that I got to actually do that in a way that was kind of like, almost like a, it, like ease into it right in my hometown. Cause super plastic is headquartered in Vermont. Um, but you know, I feel that, and I, I take a lot of responsibility for like, just like a lack of um, kind of awareness, like professional awareness and personal like self-awareness. But I think it got harder for me, like as the company grew and I, 
I was needing to like really evolve my practices. And since I was so early and since I kind of like pioneered a couple of these roles within Superplastic, I was doing so in a way that was kind of like, you know, a little bit, to be honest, like disorganized where I was like, well, I just know how to do this. So I'm going to do it. And the further down that road I got, they would be like, okay, we trust you. We know that you know how to do it. But like, there's still an entire company and team that you have to like account for. And that has to hold you accountable. Like, can you help us understand what you're doing? And I felt like there was a, a, there was a lot of contention there where I just felt like I was, you know, not being understood or that, but really the truth was that I wasn't really communicating well, what my needs were. And at the same time, I think I was kind of maxing out. Like when I started working at Superplastic, I was like, these are my goals. Like I want to hit like 5 million followers for all of Superplastic's like brand channels. I want to, you know, get a, a partnership with a major gaming partner. I want to get a major like fashion and luxury, you know, luxury fashion house partnership. I want to do something innovative that like really leaves a mark. And eventually like I started checking off the shit on that list and I was like, damn, like I did this a lot faster than I had anticipated. And especially the conversations that I was having with people on Clubhouse where, you know, for the first time, I think I was actually talking about myself. And so much of my identity was like intertwined with super plastic that I didn't really even know like who I was, like, what am I interested in? What do I collect? Like how, how do I dress if I'm not wearing super plastic, like apparel every single day, like that type of stuff. And made me feel like, you know, maybe nobody will give a shit about me if I don't work at this company. And like, that's a, that's like a sad and dangerous, like depressing place to be in. And I just kind of realized like, you know, one day I woke up on a Saturday morning and I had this like, this like whisper, like it like jolted me out of my sleep. It was like five or six in the morning. And it was like, you should quit your job. And I was like, I have no idea what that was. And like throughout the whole weekend, it was like growing and growing. And I wasn't really thinking it through, but I was like, just trying to shush this voice. And I, it got to the point where Monday morning I was in my office and I was like, my hands were frozen over my keyboard. Like I couldn't start working. And I saw Paul walk in and I just like got up like instinctively and followed him to his office. And before he even put his bag down, I was like, I think I have to quit. Like I have to go try to do something by myself. And he was like, you know, it was this kind of feeling of like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Like he was instantly like, how can I help? Like, are you sure? Like, is this what you want? And he was like, the door is open. Like there's, this isn't the end, like your family here, like this is a team that like you're a part of. And like, I'm still a part of and communicate with them frequently, but I think like I just had to prove to myself that like people like my ideas were valuable, like my my real like creativity wasn't just like it, it wasn't it didn't just rely on, you know, the support and validation and kind of like confirmation from Paul and from the super plastic community that like I could go and fucking come up with awesome ideas and do awesome shit. And yeah, 10 days later, I sold everything I owned and moved to moved from Vermont to L.A. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't realize you were still in Vermont at that point, but that's, that's incredible. So, so you're saying super plastic is based in Vermont. Yeah. Super plastic is based in Vermont. Okay. So 
I mean, I think the experience that you went through there is something that uh, is something it happens at all ages. It's not just at your first job and stuff like that. You get in a rut. Oftentimes jobs start off with you're just like enthusiastic. You give it your all. You crush it. You deliver those things that you're like that you promised to yourself, not just to the other people. You were like, no, I'm doing this because I want to do this thing. And then you get to that point where you're like, Wait, what? Well, actually, part of the thing that you just said about like, are do people just like me because I'm associated with this brand? That actually, to a certain degree, some people do. Like, I, this is not <laughs> this is not an assessment of you. This is just like yeah. in general. I found that uh, what like I had a publishing business before, and then I let I sold that. No one gave a shit. Like a large percentage of those people that were interacting with me before were like. Nick can't get me press on on his publication. Yeah. I don't I do not care. Or it was like, <laughs> hey, come and get us press, but do that for us internally. So that that yeah. that is the I mean, all, that is the downside. I think that does happen to a certain degree. But regardless, I think what you experienced is something uh, that probably is a cycle that, you know, for a lot of creatives is repeated over and over again. Yeah. Well, and I didn't want to like I spent almost three like incredible years there and I was like, you know, I could have easily been there until the wheels fell off. And I don't know what that means. That could have meant, you know, some kind of company sale and acquisition. And what would that look like for me? And I was like, one day I might wake up in 10 years and be like, this was my first fucking job. And I spent 10 years here. And that could have been something that's like, yeah, like I'm so lucky. Either way, it would have been like, I'm so lucky, but it also could have been like this feeling of like, holy shit, what did I miss? Like, what could I have done? And I think like that is what was so like the the duality of that and like kind of that being like this polarizing decision in and like and moment in my life. I was like, this is what is going to actually motivate me. The fact that I'm doing it right now like I have this momentum that like I was so lucky to generate with Superplastic creatively, professionally, popularity wise, like whatever, like people are going to have eyes like on what I'm doing. I'm going to be hypercritical of what I'm doing, like what's next. And it's, it's that motivation of like, I'm going to have to like act right and like come correct at like whatever I do next, because I can't, I can't slow down. I'm in that rocket ship. So, so you sell your shit. You move to LA, uh, you arrive, there's a huge welcoming committee that welcomes you off the plane and says, welcome to LA, we've been waiting for you. Uh, how did you end up with uh, with, with the 888 team? Well, it, I, was 888 even a team or just one person at that point in time? No, just one person, I'm employee number one. And he's, I keep seeing him hanging out with King of Midtown in New York. Is he like bi-coastal? Like, I have no idea what his situation is. I don't know. Did you see that? He doesn't really hang out. Maybe uh, it wasn't funny. hanging. It was him sitting in a car with a mask, one of those like anonymous masks, basically, in a low rider car really? bouncing. Yes. I did not see that, but that's amazing. I also um, then added a tracker to that car. So if you want to know where he is, I can. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, I didn't see that picture, but like now I'm kind of curious. Um, So what happened? I, I well, actually, a couple of things happened before. So I quit my job and I started to tell people a little bit or it kind of started to get this become this thing. And again, this is like from a place of like deep insecurity and anxiety of people me being like if i tell somebody that i quit super plastic are they gonna just be like okay bye like what do we give a shit about you now for 
Because especially like as the NFT kind of community was growing and Superplastics reputation within that community was like established, a lot of people were wanting to talk about how to collaborate with Superplastic to create NFTs and all of that. So I started to tell people and I was really lucky because instantly like what had happened was people were like, okay, so what are you doing next? And like they wanted to bring me onto their team. So one of the first people to do those and to to do that and to recognize that was Marty Kallner, who is a legendary creative director, producer, just like visionary. Um, he and I got, got acquainted. We met in LA. Um, it was just like instant connection. It was almost like he and I were like, like cut from the same fabric. Like we had these like we had the same like side of like like immaturity and playfulness and also like creative ingenuity and and he was thinking about how he could bring you know a lot of his work to the crypto space because you know marty's story he was employee number seven at hbo early on he was one of the early pioneers of mtv music videos and and really faced a lot of censorship and a lot of the work that he had done like some of his best work was kind of overshadowed by this like kind of this censorship and and these like political kind of like systems and structures so he loved the idea of like what it means to like have your art that is released and exists in this decentralized and and uncensored way so we were trying to think about how you know we could we could work around the different like lockdowns and strongholds of of the um like records companies or like holdings companies that are that technically like owned air quotes his ip um and while we were doing that people started coming to marty because he is known as on clubhouse's uncle marty everybody loves him and and they were like his friends from a lot of like his past lives and work were coming in and, and trying to figure out how they could do the same thing so we crafted this idea. Um, we came up with kind of this incubator, we called it, where we would work with these creatives and these artists who were not natively from the crypto space and actually didn't understand it very well and help to onboard them and and find a home for their work on the blockchain. And of you know, one of the projects that we were fortunate enough to receive early on was the one that I referenced earlier on in the conversation, the, the photograph of Andy Warhol. And we had such a good time. It was so incredibly, um, I was so incredibly nervous and anxious because it was kind of, you know, this idea of like, well, we have to do this right. Like we have to make it community driven. Like it's one NFT, like how can we bring as many people in as possible? So when we came up with the optics to really make it a community driven campaign, and, and we kind of branded this company Triptych um, that had these, these tenets of like giving back to the community, bringing pop culture, bringing interesting stories. You know, part of that storytelling, I released a video on Twitter of me talking about the drop and on the drop day and like, here's what we've been working on, here's what it is, really putting my face behind it. And 888 had noticed the video and he actually then retweeted it. And like, like he quote tweeted it and was like, this is really cool. Like this person is being really innovative. And I like had never noticed that he had tweeted anything before, like about somebody else's job, like only talking about like acquisitions. And I was just like, like, I was like, what do I do now? Like I was so starstruck and I was so 
like humbled and like grateful. And we started talking and he ended up actually kicking off the auction, making several bids. Like ultimately, um, John Legere, the the ex-CEO of T-Mobile, he got it. But after that, 888 and I started talking about kind of like what I learned and like what my optimism was, what my frustrations were. And we had a lot of alignment in, in how he felt, you know, what he felt this industry could do and like what this world looked like and got on a call and that kind of alignment and that, that the shared vision just grew and grew and grew. And he was like, I need you to come and work for 888 The New World. And he told me about the platform. And I was in a place where I was like, I'm never gonna have a full-time job again. Like I'm my own boss. I consult for people like I'm this. And I, I told him, I was like, if I, you know, uh, instantly I was like, this is interesting. Like it was the best feeling that I'd had from like all the job offers that I've been given. And I told him, I was like, I really need to be empowered to like make the changes and like have the impact that I know that I can have, that I know this, this market, this medium, this community is missing. And, you know, if I am to join you, like, I need you to fully like bestow that onto me. And he was like, it's yours. Take it like this. Let's build something. And so far, like he has held up his end of the deal and I've held up mine and we're just having so much fun together. And I'm so excited. So let's talk about that for a moment. Like what is so I've seen the trailer for 888 The New World. It's almost like uh, like a trailer for an electronic music festival, uh, which which is probably because the trailer is made by someone who uh, designs electronic music festival visualizations. If I were to guess, uh, I also know that a lot of the, uh, you know, creators on Nifty Gateway and elsewhere come from that background, actually. Um, so I'm wondering, like, I had seen some um, screenshots of uh, a universe with things circulating around it and different planets and then artists existing on that planet. Is it really kind of like, uh, is the goal to actually build a full-blown metaverse or is it more along some of these galleries that we're seeing in a different way, like uh, virtual galleries? I'm blanking on the name of of some of the names of them. Rare Rooms is one that's popular right now where people can present their art right there? Like, wh- where do you all fall on the spectrum? Yeah, good question. Um, 888 The New World will be a fully supported um, digital art NFT marketplace. So we are building a marketplace. Um, the artists and kind of the the people who are in that that video are some of the early earliest investors in the platform. Um, so 888 saw, you know, he, he started becoming really obsessed with with collecting with NFTs. And the more time that he spent, the more he was having these conversations and, and acknowledging like kind of the what was inequitable about, you know, the, these other marketplaces. And he had this vision for, you know, that we were all moving into this new world, that this new world was happening and that, you know, artists were really like creating the path to the new world. But the people that were actually like managing and overseeing the tools, like so aka the marketplaces, were very much being run by the old worlds, like by way of like tech and venture capital. So he wanted to create this marketplace and and envisioned this um, this trajectory, like this home for artists. Because a lot of times, you know, I have a very um, I have like a very casual and kind of inappropriate way of describing it, but 
it seems to me a little bit, and in my experience, like it's kind of like a one night stand. <laughs> like, you know, artists get courted by this platform. And this is like also my experience in the, the drops that I've done. Like you get courted, feels really supported. Like they're like, okay, here's what you have to do. Here's, you know, where we're headed. Here's your drop date. And then you drop and that's kind of it. It's like they've got their shoes, they've got their bag and they're out the door. Like shoes, keys, wallet, like one night stand is over. And I feel that, you know, it's, it's difficult because you want to support artists and you want to like, for me, I, I really love to talk to people that are so early into this journey and figure out how I can help them tell their story, build their brands. Like everybody is building like their own little micro brands right now, which is so fucking awesome. And they're getting an opportunity through drops, through Twitter, through Clubhouse to like build and develop that brand. But there are some, you know, kind of challenges that come with that around getting recognized and acknowledged, you know, some of these platforms are taking 50% of artists revenue. Like there's not, like if you're not getting a drop, like you're gonna be, you're you're not gonna get that marketing support. So what I loved about Edit the New World is that there's this real roadmap. Like there are four different zones. There's Genesis zone, innovation zone, main zone, and the drop zone, which all have their own kind of prerequisites and also their own offerings to support the artists and service them. And then once you're in those zones, you can actually progress and and elevate through those different zones all the way up to to having your own dedicated drop day on the platform through a community vote. And we are actually this is like the first day that I think I can officially in the first format that I can officially say that we're also going to have the largest curation team of any NFT marketplace that exists to my knowledge. So um, of the names that I can officially announce are uh, David R.U., Octane Jesus, uh, G Monk, Jason Safe, and Blake Catherine will all hold their own unique individual like curatorial departments and roles under this umbrella of curation. And I think by the by we by the time we have everybody in place, we'll have like anywhere from 10 to 15 curators who are selecting and supporting the artists who come onto the platform which, you know, to my knowledge, the only like real, um, you know, the only curated platform right now with somebody that's in the position that has this art background is at Super Rare. And I could be completely wrong because I try to keep up all the time. But, you know, that's I think it's really difficult. That's a big job for one person. So we created these zones and now we have these curators and we're going to really make it awesome and make it possible and feasible for people, for artists to come in to list and sell their art on 888 The New World in a way that supports where they're at in their career and journey and then show them the roadmap to then progress. So it's more about a marketplace. It, uh, I'm wondering with all the visualizations and everything else, which is like all this 3D stuff. Well, actually, one thing that you said there is someone who's uh, technically savvy and has been coding for many years, I'm offended. No, but I am. Uh, so you're saying that that those are the people who were creating it before? No, we need those. Like those people are so necessary. I think it's just this fully collaborative approach. Like everybody has to be teamed up together. And like, that's why, you know, this chief experience officer role is also so important because like I'm putting myself out there and saying like, I'm your person, like I'm humanizing this marketplace. Like what do you need? What feedback can I give? And like, we just had a call today and we both agreed that like, you know, we're the most important part of 888 The New World isn't even 
the development stage that we're in right now as we like track toward launch, it's actually going to be what we're able to accomplish in the months leading after our launch to adapt and adjust and change our approach and our platform and, you know, in whatever way that we can to to acknowledge and support the community of of artists and of collectors and people who are who are utilizing it and, and making sure that we answer their their questions and, and we answer their their feedback so that we can be like the people and the artists platform. So you may or may not be able to answer this, but I am wondering from just from a practical uh, perspective in terms of the actual platform itself with all those visualizations, which is where I was originally going to go before I decided to go off on a tangent about my personal uh, uh, take note uh, is is like I see all these 3D visualizations and everything else like that. Is the goal to have something that is visually interactive like that or is it going to probably at the beginning be more like a 2D static website, like standard marketplace type of dynamics? I definitely, I think there's definitely, um, all I can say is that there's an in-between there. Um, There's, it's certainly not going to be static. I mean, this is the most beautiful, like NFT digital art marketplace platform I've seen, most beautifully designed, interactive. Um, You know, there's small, but like very important touch points that, you know, help to support artists, to support collectors, um, just enthusiasts. You know, it will definitely be a robust platform. And as for, you know, future goals in the metaverse, like, all I guess I can say is who isn't building in the metaverse? Uh, well, some people are building metaverses as well, which is like quite an undertaking. If you don't have a background in like game development, game design, things like that, it's going to be difficult. Uh, I've spoke with CryptoVoxel, Sandbox, some of these other uh, platforms. I mean, they have... The, the, they're really all about the development team. I mean, that's 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 what they're they're building, and it seems to me that like what you all are doing is building an art like the art team, like the artist team, essentially, and and really, and you have those relationships via eight eight eight. The only other question there is like, so is eight eight eight's collection is part of that intention to sell some of that, or is that he's just still doing that for fun? Oh, he's still just collecting for fun. Like he still cannot be stopped <laughs> like at all. So, and I will say that, you know, I, this is also like kind of secret. So I'll give like a cheeky kind of answer, but um, I'm glad you mentioned gaming. Like art is, is certainly a huge component of this um, world that we're moving into. And I, I have said before that I really feel that artists are, are leading the digital renaissance now, but I also have said before you know, per my my friend and, and mentor and former kind of um, employer when I worked at Crucible, like Ryan Gill says, the future of the internet is being built by game developers. So I'm at this unique uh, crossing point where I get to uh, lean into both of those beliefs that I have. And that's all I can say about that. But gaming will not be overlooked here. All right. You heard it here first. Uh, building a competing metaverse to sandbox and crypto voxels and everything else and attempting to conquer no, the metaverse. <laughs> Those were your words, not mine. So uh, <laughs> in ter- no, just I'm just it kidding. I did not say that. Play it back. <laughs> I, this, this will be edited to uh, have you say it. No, I'm just kidding. So I really 
Uh, I do appreciate you taking the time today. Um, in terms of how people can stay in touch with both 888 and find you online, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah, um, our website is 888tnw.com. Um, sign up for emails. We're going to be sent. We're getting ready to send out our first kind of update newsletter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'll be sharing a lot of. I actually am going to try to share um, like a recap or a, an update every week. Um, like I think on Fridays, we'll see. Hold me to it if I haven't posted. Um, and I am at Carson Daily on Twitter. Actually, on all platforms. Um, Carson Daily on Instagram, on Clubhouse, on Twitter. Um, 888 The New World will have its own um, its own social presence soon and Discord channel, all of that. Uh, but for now with 888, let me just confirm. He is he is crypto 888 crypto on Twitter. So you can follow him there um, and just track the hashtag 888TNW. But yeah, it's gonna be awesome and and I'm super happy. I have like the best business partners and associates right now that I could have ever asked for and people that just like truly are are change agents and champions here and and I am really excited. I love every opportunity to get that story out. So thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at the nifty.com. Thanks again.